Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SCORE's podcast, Inside College Admissions. On today's episode, our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buskirk, is going to interview one of our high school counselors. Peter is the owner and founder of Best College Fit and brings over 25 years of experience to college admissions. He's also a contributor to SCORE's blog, so make sure you check out his work there, too. Now over to Peter for today's conversation. Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with college advisors about matters affecting the college going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk, and I'm joined today by my good friend Heidi Green, who's the Director of Counseling Services at Fayetteville Manlius High School in the suburban Syracuse area. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for having me, Peter. Oh, it's good to, good to be able to spend some time chatting about college stuff with you. I would imagine that uh, from your end, this the whole college process looks a lot different than it did, say, eight months ago. It does. It absolutely does. Can, can, you, can you help us understand what, what was going on? Or what, what did it feel like when things began to emerge back in March and April, such that you went from thinking, well, gosh, there's, there's probably going to be a, an issue here to we got to send these kids home to how are we going to get them back? I know, I know. It was a crazy time for sure. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We actually were meeting with our juniors the week of March 9th to the 13th doing what we call junior seminars and, you know, kicking off the college process for them. And we just got done. We sent them off to get their recommendation letters on a Thursday and on Friday down we went. So it was an interesting time for sure. For a long spring break, right? (laughs) Right. And I never in a million years would have imagined that we would be where we are. I thought we were going to shut down for two weeks. Two weeks would have taken us to a week before spring break. But then I thought, well, maybe they'll give us one more week and tie it into spring break. And then, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Here we are. So it was a it was an interesting spring, to be sure. What do things look like now for you on your campus? What sort of instruction is available to students? Are, are you fully back on campus? Are you doing some hybrid things? Uh, how, how, does, how are things working at Faithful Manly's? Right. Well, you probably know we have a very active governor, Governor Cuomo. So we had an opportunity to submit plans to him back in August. And so right through the summer, I mean, we were still really unsure of what our fall was going to look like. We had to put plans in to say what we would do if we were all in school, if we were all out of school, and if we did some version of a hybrid model. And so he allowed schools to open with social distancing, with masks, a lot of criteria. And based on the criteria that he set, we were able to work in a hybrid model. So right now, we are a school of about 1,400 students, a high school of 1,400 students. And on Mondays and Tuesdays, we have our students with the last names A through K in attendance. And on Thursdays and Fridays, L through Z is in attendance. Wednesday is a remote day that allows us to do a really deep clean of the building. Very few staff members come on Wednesdays. The teachers work remotely as well. It's really just administrative staff and support staff who are here on Wednesdays. The difference now from last spring is that everything is done synchronously. So for the students who are here on Mondays and Tuesdays, we call them cohort A. Um, And on Thursdays and Fridays, cohort B. So on a Monday and Tuesday, cohort B sits at their Chromebook that the district has provided to all students and watches the instruction that's taking place in the classroom. They engage, the teachers ask questions of them, They might need to respond to a question or something that's thrown out to them. Um, So it's really a much more engaging process than it was. 
still a challenge for sure. I think students really struggle on those remote days. I have kids of my own who say I learn much better when I'm in school, which is wonderful in the sense that people still matter. You know, we, we really start to realize the importance of relationships and, and being together. And the, you know, the use of technology now, I think sometimes people wonder, do we really, do we ever need to be back together? And I'd like to say, based on my observations, I think the in-school days are certainly more successful than the out-of-school days. But nevertheless, it's a much better system than in the spring when we really just went to an asynchronous model. Every day the students would wake up, they would have a pile of work that had been presented to them. They did the work, they spit it back to the teachers and so on and so forth for 12 weeks. And that became pretty cumbersome and prohibitive for many of our students. Your role is rather unique in all of this too because you've got several hundred young people who are now seniors, most of whom are thinking about life beyond high school that would include college. When do they get to see you? I mean, how, how, do you, how are you connecting with your advisees? Right, so the days that they're here, so my students, I have the top half of the alphabet, so my students are here in person on Mondays and Tuesdays. Most of the counselors are either cohort A or B. We have one counselor in the middle, of course, who's split, and she has some students the first half of the week and some half the, the second half of the week, but certainly in person as much as possible. It's been a little bit of a challenge because one of the opportunities we gave to students and families was to allow them to request late arrival or early release. So in other words, if they didn't have a class at the beginning or the end of the day, they were able to come in late or go home early. Really, because of the pandemic, we were it was an opportunity for us to encourage staggered arrival and dismissal times so that all 700 students weren't arriving or departing at the same time. And we had hundreds of students take us up on that offer. So the challenge now as a counselor is those seniors are the ones that I need to see, and often those are the ones that are leaving early or coming in late. Uh, we do have the opportunity to meet with them at that time if they're willing to come in, which course, most of them are because this is pretty important. So we do meet with them individually. We've met with them in small groups already. This fall, we usually do a day of senior seminars, we call them, where we pull the senior class out for the day and we run them through a series of workshops and we do a class picnic and the yearbook photograph and we give them all kinds of college swag. And it's really a, it's kind of a milestone that the students, you know, look forward to a rite of passage, so to speak. It's usually about the second week of school. And you know, unfortunately, that's taken a, a bit of a back seat right now. So it's really focusing in on the smaller groups and meeting individually. But we do meet virtually with our students a lot. The nice thing about the virtual is the screen sharing. So a lot of times where in the old days, a kid would give me their username and password uh, for the Common App and I could go through it on my own time. Now we can do it together where they'll make me an advisor and we'll sit together on the computer and go through it page by page. So you know, silver linings, opportunities that we try to make the best of in those situations. So certainly when we can meet in person, I try to do that. But if not, I meet virtually. Uh, the challenge of that, though, is that I don't know who's in the room with the student when we are meeting. And so, you know, very easily off screen could be a parent or a grandparent or a sibling. And it's not that the college process is particularly secretive, but I find when I'm going through the college process at various stages with students, lots of other things come up as we're talking about the process. And there's a lot of emotion, right? A lot of anxiety tied to the process in general. And it's not just about filling out the application. It's about, I'm leaving home. Uh, there's going to be an empty bed at the end of the hallway. 
what's my little sister going to do without me? What about my dog? You know, all the things that sort of go with and hand in hand with the college process. So there's a lot of processing that goes on when I work with students. And so that's the piece I think that can be a little stilted when we're talking virtually because of the lack of confidentiality in the room mm -hmm. and sort of not knowing. And then the other challenge of course is when a parent pops on the screen and says, oh, I've got a couple of questions and sort of marginalizes the the 18 year old who's really the one that I want in the driver's seat and sometimes you know the parent sort of steps in and kind of takes over a little bit so I have to negotiate and manage that a little bit at times. Test your people skills that way that's that's for sure. So many of the elements of planning that we've been accustomed to for years and even your years when you were doing college admission if there were the, the college fairs the open houses the visits from college reps to the high school a lot of things that were done in person that way that have just kind of disappeared for a little while here at least right. in, live in person what has your observation been so far about how that connection with the colleges themselves for the kids and for yourself how is that working is, is there an effective line of communication is it same as better than worse than that you've experienced yeah i would say it's different um i don't know okay. if I, put, I don't know that i put a judgment on it yet it's still a little bit early but i would say a few things that i've observed are college visits the number of students who participate in the college visits is definitely down they're all being done virtually of course and so we i've noticed that we have fewer students who attend those college visits however i would say that those who do attend probably have a deeper connection and commitment to the institution that they are visiting. So rather than the kid next to you standing up in chemistry class and saying, I'm going to go do the college visit at the Career Center, do you want to come with me? And that's an opportunity to miss class. Now students don't want to miss class because they're only there two days a week. So they're really committed to being in the classroom while they're here. So if they can do a virtual visit, it's usually to a college that they probably have a higher level of interest is something that I think I've noticed. We are encouraging students. I know that campuses are closed, many. There are some that are starting to show signs of reopening in some ways. But here in Syracuse, we are rich in higher education. And so as we're working with students and our seniors and even our juniors now, and I don't know if this is <laughs> excellent advice or not, but I'm sending kids off to campuses. I'm telling them, especially the juniors now, as they're trying to figure out what does it feel like to be on a big campus, an urban campus, a small school, a Catholic school, a private school, a community college. I say, just look around. Within 40 miles, we probably have eight to 10 colleges that students can go and, and pay a visit to, whether or not they're giving campus tours. And I tell them, stop a student on the sidewalk and ask them, what do you love about this school? What do you not like about this school? If you could change one thing, what would it be? What other schools did you apply to and how did you decide on this particular institution? And stop faculty and ask them, what do they see? What's the impact of the pandemic on their student body? You know, there's lots of opportunity to still get information in just a different way. So, you know, I'm hoping that just from my little corner of the world, I'm not causing problems on college campuses sending students out. The flip side is we encourage students not to travel to, you might know in New York State, we have about 43 states that are now on our banned travel list. And so it's difficult for students to come back and then have to quarantine for 14 days. That not only impacts them, it impacts the teacher, it's got a, a bigger impact. So, but certainly locally, as they're starting to try to narrow down the list, um, that is something that I encourage students to do. 
Well, the, the kids who are getting ready to apply now, and in many cases have already applied, are dealing with a very different kind of landscape with regard to requirements this fall. A year ago, roughly a thousand colleges and universities would claim that they were test optional in the admission process. That number's grown to nearly 1,600 right now. What kind of conversations are you having with students and their parents about testing? Because I would imagine that's been top of mind for these kids for the last eight months because they haven't been able to take tests. Now, so many of the very highly selective schools are saying, you know what, we'll make it optional for you. What, what, what's the reaction you're getting from families? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like our students feel like tests are a rite of passage. Mm. And there's something psychological about not taking the test and they just can't seem to get their arms around the fact that it truly is potentially an option for the vast majority of students. So we did offer the SAT here in October. We're offering it again in November, limited numbers, but we are offering it. And we actually didn't even fill up in October with the limited numbers. I thought we would. We had over 200 students take the PSAT last weekend. So they're sort of getting right back into the thick of it a little bit, certainly for next year's group. And our seniors are testing as well. I'm not sure they all believe in test optional versus test blind. And if you read some of the things that colleges are sending out, it can be confusing at best what they really mean when they say test optional. They certainly send some mixed messages with the, with the greeting that says they're test optional. Um, but if you have them, send them. And so I think the, there's definitely a lack of trust, I would say, that the families are experiencing because they really are uncertain, should I or should I not send it? And do will merit money be based on whether or not I have test scores? Interestingly, I've had some students, several, mm -hmm. who have made a judgment, probably unfairly, about the timeline of these announcements. So for those colleges that came right out of the chute early on and said, you know what, we're in a worldwide pandemic and we are not going to take tests into account next year. And they came out, you know, May, June, July with those messages. And now the pins are falling. And, you know, just last week I heard from a college, oh, we're so proud to announce we're test optional. Well, the kids are saying, where have you been? Why are you so excited to make this big announcement that a thousand other colleges made months ago? And so they start to really be pretty insightful and think if, if, if a college couldn't make a student-centered decision like this during a worldwide pandemic that seems so obvious, they really start to think and project what will their experience be like with other circumstances that might you know, warrant flexibility on a college campus. I thought that was a really sophisticated response for some of our students to sort of think that way. I've long thought that the way students are treated in the pre-enrollment process by any institution is a good indicator of how they'll be treated once enrolled. So mm -hmm. it's, it's further evidence of that. Well, in, in addition to testing sort of being kind of thrown up in the air and coming down upside down this year, families have been expressing concern. Will colleges know how difficult it's been? Will colleges know that we, we left for spring break and never came back in the spring? How, how do you offer reassurance there? So two-prong answer, I guess. The first is in terms of assuaging their fears, a recent presentation I did to our parents, and uh, it was on the morning of the PSATs, and I also did three sessions with senior parents last week. I put up a slide where I talk about the admission rate of Fayetteville Manlia students versus the national acceptance rate, and I take some of the most selective schools in the country, and I show how our students outperform the national acceptance rate across the board. And I say if they're getting into the most competitive schools 
at this rate, then you can be confident that as you go down your hierarchy there, your triangle, right, that, that that's going to stay the same pretty much, that we can anticipate that they're also going to be getting in at a higher rate. I also talk about an exit survey where we ask the students whether they are attending their first choice, second choice, or so on, college. And each year, approximately 85 to 87% of our students go to their top two choices, first or second choice. And what I talk about is that doesn't mean that 87% got into their top two choices. It could potentially be higher than that. That's how many chose to attend their top two choices. There obviously could have been other circumstances that encouraged them not, you know, made them choose a different college to attend. But I think that certainly reassures them that the college process perhaps isn't quite as daunting. You know, we talk about the media mm -hmm. and how the media plays on their fears of not getting in. And then I talk about NACAC's annual survey where the average acceptance rate is anywhere between 70 and 75%, that really what they're experiencing at the cocktail parties and so on is the exceptional rather than the rule. Exactly, exactly. So I think people, I mean, I'm not sure they 100% believe me, but I think I take it down a notch when I'm able to sort of share those experiences. So that's in terms of setting them, you know, moving forward as they look forward. In terms of our communicating with the colleges, certainly we've changed our profile. We've added a statement into our profile that talks a little bit about the alternate grading that we had in the spring. We didn't do anything terribly rogue, you know, we didn't go to pass fail or anything like that. We just had a, a slight uh, curve, if you will, on the fourth quarter grades. So we went right through the third quarter as normal. And then for the last 10 weeks, we did a slight, a slight bump for students. Uh, but that was really it. So the impact to their overall GPAs was pretty marginal. This year we're grading as we always have. So in terms of the grading piece, you know, just something in the profile that we talk about a little bit. And in our letters, again, I would say, sort of like I mentioned about the student presentation, if there isn't anything remarkable about the COVID piece, then I haven't really said too much about it. I've, I have a basic sense that my colleagues on the college side have experienced the same challenges and, and frustrations and so on that the rest of the world has. And so they're starting at that point. That being said, you know, I am encouraging students a lot of the questions that come in are colleges going to know why I wasn't the captain of the my spring lacrosse team and why I had to stop this and that and the other thing. And, you know, a lot of, yes, they will, but that doesn't mean life had to stop for you. What are, what are some things that you did or still can do to offset that? Sure. Because I think in some ways, I don't want students to feel like it's, uh, you know, their ticket. Well, nobody else could do it and I couldn't. So now we're all at the same, we're all on the same footing. I still want our students to benefit and to be able to put their best foot forward. And so again, we, I can talk about the higher education landscape here. Reach out, talk to a professor. Is there something that you can do from afar that you might be able to help with a research project? Collect cans in your neighborhood, do a, do a food drive, you know. I'm going to change gears here just a little bit. I wouldn't be at all surprised to hear you say that families are taking a step back and, and reevaluating the, the college going process from a cost and affordability perspective, given the pandemic. Is that true or is that something that's in my imagination? 
Well, I'm in a I'm in a place where I think there has may have been a less of an impact than there might have been at some other public schools. And I think here we didn't experience, I think, the job loss that some places may have experienced. And so in some ways, it's a little bit less than you might have anticipated, maybe that I would have anticipated. Certainly, I've received some calls in terms of how to articulate their change in financial status based on the loss of a job, or I had a family who brought in an elderly grandparent from New York City who's now living with them and they're paying the healthcare and living expenses for. So there are obviously always those extenuating circumstances that the FAFSA doesn't account for and they will need to make a particular, you know, special outreach to the financial aid office to identify those unique circumstances. But beyond that, I think it's really more about affordability in general within through the lens of if my student is going to be taking virtual classes, if my student is going to be living at home, if my student isn't going to have access to the lab materials, if my student isn't going to have access to the student activities that they might otherwise participate in, what am I paying for and is it worth me paying that same cost or should we reconsider the journey? You know, I think the thing to consider though for these students I think we're talking about maybe the start of their freshman year, at worst their freshman year, and hopefully they'll have three really good years on a campus. My hope is that they will go through the process with eyes wide open, but still planning to do a four-year plan like they would in any other year and then adjust as necessary is sort of the, the advice that I'm sharing with them. Another piece that's probably coming up a lot for seniors right now has to do with the timing of the application, early action, early decision. Uh, statistically, early decision has given students advantages in most applicant pools, and that's certain to be the case again this year. However, that assumes that students who are applying early decision have thoroughly vetted that school. What's that conversation like for you and your families now? Is there still a lot of interest in early decision? Are they stepping back, or how's it going? It feels like they're definitely stepping back. They don't have the confidence to apply early decision if they haven't had a chance to be on campuses. We have a lot more students who haven't visited campuses at all that are saying, I'm going to wait until I find out where I've been admitted and then I'll go in the spring. Hopefully things will be a little bit more opened up at that point. But we've had a significant decline in early decision applicants and I sort of eyeballed them this morning and I would say the majority of them are athletes who have found a place through the athletic recruitment process and made a commitment that way. So not all of them, but but certainly a large number of them I notice are athletes. But I will say applications are down in general at this time. We do a, a week-to-week comparison each Monday. The Monday before November 1st last year, we had about 35% of our students had submitted applications. And this year that number is 18%. So really cut in half in terms of those who have actually submitted applications a week before November 1st. Mm -hmm. While that number could change a little bit, I don't anticipate it's going to double by November 1st. So clearly our numbers are down for early action. I think the kids just don't feel ready yet. They're sort of rushing to get through their applications a little bit. We started school two weeks later than we usually do. So even with our best efforts and running workshops and meeting with them in groups and individually and offering our services online, I think they're just, they don't have the confidence that their application is where they want it to be to send it off on November 1st. So I'm thinking maybe November 15th, we'll get a a bigger rush. 
and then some rolling schools, but I think our regular decision applications will go up significantly this year. I would imagine that, that every once in a while you encounter a 16 or 17 year old who got a really forlorn look and a sense of hopelessness or helplessness, particularly about the college process and the feeling like it doesn't matter what I do. How do you advise that young person? How do you lift that person? Yeah, sometimes, again, like we talked about earlier, sometimes those issues are bigger than just sort of the presentation of the college process. And so making sure that we're engaged with the students and the families to to really truly understand, is there more to the story? But if it's sort of just a, a general fear and malaise of the process and so on, I mean, one of the things I talk about and again, I think about my colleagues on the college side might not love this, but I often talk to students about they're really signing a one-year contract, not a four-year commitment. And although we would like them to hopefully start and end at the same place, and, and like I said, I would like that for my colleagues on the college side, that when I send somebody that they're going to be able to retain them at the same time if I'm sensing that a student just has such angst and anxiety and nervousness about making that right decision, they often feel like their whole world, their whole future life depends on this one decision, you know, the magnitude of, of the weight of this decision. Sometimes you can just read on a student feels too much to bear. And so those are the students that I will frequently say, let's just, let's take this one step at a time, right? We need a wide variety, you know, you got to cast a wide net. And also that the time that they're feeling that, October, November, December, they may feel very differently in March, April, May, and June, right? So it's amazing in the life of a 17-year-old, six months is a significant chunk of their life and how they may grow and develop and change by the time they get out the other end of the process. But those are the students that I'll talk about, you know, making a one-year commitment or perhaps not making that one-year commitment, taking a year to really think through what is it that I want to do. That's not always popular with parents. Um, I think there's a linear progression that parents expect, um, especially coming out, every high school is different, but for mine, they have pretty high expectations and, and sometimes aren't ready to hear that there are some alternative processes that, that might be a better fit for their child. But again, I, I sort of have the students go through the process traditionally with the idea that at the end, we can always take a side step if we need to. Great advice from all that we've discussed today. It's very clear that your students are lucky to have you. To have somebody who can guide them with, with such good advice is their good fortune. So Heidi, thank you very much for taking some time today to, to chat with us and help us understand how your process is working for your community. And good luck as you continue with the year. For those of you who've been listening today, I hope that you've gained something from this conversation that will help you with your college search. Until our next conversation, be well, be safe, and look forward to chatting. Take care.